0: Welcome to this Jeremy Bamber and White House Farm podcast. I'm Yvonne Hartley, co-administrator and forensic liaison manager of the Jeremy Bamber Innocence Campaign. Each month, we hold Zoom meetings for members of our Facebook group, the Jeremy Bamber Justice Group. At these meetings, we make a presentation regarding one area of the evidence, the legal aspects of the case, or one of the characters linked with the case. We also have guest speakers each month and legal updates as well as a question and answer session. Our speaker in September this year was Michael O'Brien, himself a victim of his own miscarriage of justice. Michael spoke with passion about his own case, his life in jail, meeting Jeremy within the jail and highlighted just how difficult life is going to be for Jeremy once he is a free man. We pick up the meeting as campaign team member Philip Walker introduces Michael O'Brien. Now we're very pleased to be joined by our uh,
1: distinguished patron Mike O'Brien who as you probably know was uh, a victim of his own miscarriage of justice uh, in the notorious Cardiff News Agent uh, 3 case from 1998. Uh, He spent 11 years in prison as a result of this wrongful conviction, uh, which was caused by a flawed and malicious investigation by South Wales police. So he's going to tell you about his case uh, and the challenges that he's faced since his release. And he'll also reflect on the time he's spent in jail with Jeremy.
2: So apologies for the delay, but over to you, Mike. First of all, I'd like to offer my apologies because I'm a bit late tonight. You know, um, I did have a few technical issues. Uh, I'm not very uh, technical savvy on the computer, so I do apologize for being late. But uh, I do want to say, um, you know, I- I've done 11 years for the murder of a Cardiff news agent based on the evidence of a, an ex-police officer and a number of witnesses who give evidence to the police who were in serious trouble with the police uh, for criminal offenses and they built their case around Michael Hughes Darren Hall, who was um, a want-to-mitty character who had a habit of confessing the things that he hadn't done previously, which was not disclosed to us at the time of our trial. So basically, we have 11 years until it all come out. Now, um, the officer involved um, was investigated And he was involved in numerous cases where he just had a pen and paper and he alleges a confession happened outside the cells. You know, um, it it, it was an incriminating uh, confession, you know, uh, implicating us in the murder. Now, um, I've had some experts recently look at this and they've uh, come to the conclusion. It's coming out in my new book now, which is out in September, called Miscarriages of Justices from 1982 to um, 2016 in South Wales. And what I've done, I've, anal- I've got the expert report put in there to show that the confession outside the cells was actually false by a leading expert from Liverpool. Now um, this is new evidence which has never been shown to the public or, or, or anything, not even at my civil trial. So this is going to be very significant when the book comes out because I'm still trying to get the police officer this particular police officer, you know, held to account. Now, when I was in prison, um, I was in Longworth in prison for a, a number of years. I was there for seven years. And this is where i come about with Jeremy. And I, rem- I remember being on the same landing. I think he was wing, if I remember right. I'm sure Jeremy would correct me if I was wrong, like, in, you know, in due course. But I think he was on wing where I met him. And he stood up like a sore thumb because he reminded me of myself. All he wanted to talk about was his case and the fact that he was wrongly convicted. And so that immediately got my, you know, my senses going. And there was the Birmingham Six there, the Guildford Four was there. And we all sort of used to try and get on together and help each other. And that's how it was when we first went into Long in prison. And I mean, I want to say this, you know, it's the top security prison in the country, you know, and. Um, I've seen, I've seen all the paper cuttings about Jeremy, I've seen all the, you know, they demonised him, they did. And, you know, I didn't know how to approach Jeremy, first of all, um, because I didn't know him, you know. So when he, when he first came on to dealing, I was like, oh, so that's the gentleman they've been talking about. Now, I know the media lie, I was under no illusions because of my own case. So um, we did get talking and we were talking, I can remember we were talking about the silencer at the time and he was showing me documents and everything. He was quite open and honest with, with me. And I just knew from that moment that I had a gut instinct something wasn't right with his case. And he, I don't know how you, you know somebody is innocent, but to give you an indication, Peter Fell I was in prison with, done 17 years, got his name cleared. I knew he was innocent. The Birmingham Six. Um, there was a guy called George Long who'd done 14 years. I said he was innocent. He got his name cleared. So my gut instinct was nearly enough spot on because most of the people I was in Long Latin with have had their name cleared. So that gives you an indication of how good my instinct was. Now so I knew Jeremy was innocent. And, you know, um, it 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 was really sad to see when, you know, the papers were demonizing him and i seen all the, the bad headlines. And I thought, this is not the Jeremy that I know, you know? And that used to really get to me because, you know, if only people knew what he was actually like, they would know that he couldn't have done this. He's just not that type of person in, in, in my view. And, and I, I, said, I said to him, one day I'm gonna get out. Do you know what I mean? And whoever gets out first, do you know what I mean? I will try and support whoever, all the miscarriages of justices and that's when uh, I did get out. I mentioned Jeremy in my book Prisons Exposed, only briefly, uh, about people who were given full life sentences and I argued that that shouldn't be happening and I mentioned Jeremy's case briefly in there but then I was approached by a documentary, uh, a couple of documentaries in uh, 2003 and uh, a couple of others and I exercised my views on Jeremy's case and I know I did upset him on one occasion because the way you come across in the program, um, I'll, I'll tell you the exact words I use. I said, Jeremy might not be everybody's cup of tea. And I didn't mean that in a bad way. I just mean, because he's a confident person, sometimes that can be misconstrued as arrogance. And that was where Jeremy wrote to me saying, oh, you, you, you said this and said that. I said, Jeremy... I was the only one who was speaking up in the program. They were all against this when they were the whole the whole people in the program were just nasty, horrible people. I and mean, it was in 2003 this documentary was made, and I said he might not be everybody's cup of tea, but if you ask me, is he innocent? Absolutely. And I was the words. And then me and Jerry, we started corresponding uh, more since I come out. Um, I'm not the best letter writer. I got to be honest with you. You know what I mean? Because I used to write 80 letters a week. And I think um, after you've done that for 11 years, you get a bit, it's a bit tiring, you know, and, I, and I, I find it really difficult to do that. But what I did do, every opportunity I had, I mentioned Jeremy's case. I've gone on uh, the Richie Allen show. I've done uh, the, the Radio Essex with James Whale. I even took the T-shirt to Armenia and they were talking about Jeremy Bamba on uh, the Armenian TV shows I went on because the government paid for me to go over there on the blue horizon, talking about to the government over there about miscarriages and justices. So we were on all the top shows, which are like the equivalent to ours, and uh, I wore the t-shirt. And I got photographs of me in Armenia, and uh, the, the host is actually talking about Jeremy Barber, and I thought that was wonderful, because we're spreading the message. And that's, that's what I've been trying to do since I've been out, and since me and Jeremy got back in contact, because I wanted, I knew he was innocent. One hundred percent. And um, it's funny enough, my sister asked me a question the other day. She said, Mike, um, the Jeremy Bamber case, she said, do you really think he's innocent? I said, yes, absolutely. And I sat her down and I explained everything to her and what had gone on. And I think she was, even she was quite shocked. And yet she was the one who helped to get me out. But, you know, because of the what it been in the newspapers and the way they've demonised him, I mean, it's just so wrong, you know. I haven't got time for like the Sunday newspaper or the Daily Mail because they never tell the truth. You might you get the truth from the Guardian, the Independent, and the Times. You get more, you know, uh, more, you know, on Jeremy's side. They'll listen to what you've got to say. But there's some papers who've been so nasty out there, uh, so horrible. And this is not the Jeremy I know. I can honestly say to you, Jeremy is a friend. He's a decent guy, and he would not have done this crime he could not have done this crime and that is my own perspective and you know I will shout to the rooftops uh, as I often have on, on, on radio stations and whatever because I know he couldn't have done it there's no way Sheila was responsible for this the police were on the right lines in the beginning and why it changed into going for Jeremy um beggars belief because I've seen what Jeremy has put in front of me. I've seen the ballistic testing. And I'm going back uh, in the early years. You know, I was in Long Latin from 1989 to 2000, um, uh, 1989 to 1997. And, you know, we've been on hunger strike together. You know, um, the first coordinated hunger strike was in 1992, where 20 prisoners went on hunger strike. Jeremy joined us. And he, we all stood together and we refused our Christmas meals. And we refused our Christmas meals because we should have been with our families. and We should have been with our, the people we should have been with. And because we wasn't, we wanted to highlight our cases. And Jeremy stood by us each and every, every way he could. So when I come out, I wanted to give something back. And for the first few years, I've got to be honest with you, I was really messed up. I didn't know what to do because I was so traumatised by my own experience and I didn't get help. I came out in 1998, I didn't get no help for my post-traumatic stress disorder till 1998. So it took, uh, not 1998, sorry, to um, 2001, when I seen a guy called Adrian Grounds. And when I started getting my head together, that's when I started campaigning for people. And that's when I started, you know, doing stuff for Jeremy and, and letting people know. And as far as I am concerned, he's going to win his appeal. He has to win his appeal because he's an innocent man. And I am feel so strong right now that you know that Jeremy is going. This time, this is the real deal. And I will tell you this: I had a, I had um, a meeting with one of the commissioners about another case, and he worked on Jeremy's case. He doesn't work there anymore. And he said to me off the record, as soon as we got the opportunity, we're going to send this case back. I don't want to name him because I don't think it's fair but he turned on to me and this was a couple of years ago and he said he should have won his appeal in 2002 absolutely he should have but even now we've got even there's more evidence now there is no doubt whatsoever that he should get his name clean and all I can say is you know I'm going to be there when this all happens and if there's anything I can do with the campaign I mean Yvonne you know that if I can do anything you've only got to give me a shout um, I, have, I am a very, very busy man. I've got books coming out of my ears at the moment and I've got a, a TV documentary coming out very shortly about. I don't know if you heard of Di Morris's case that he, he died recently. Uh, sad. very sad state of affairs. he was an innocent man. I've done 22 years, so I'm involved in that case. so there's a Netflix going up about that. I've mentioned other people's cases where I can, and I'll do what I can. And but I, I, can, I can say to everybody who's listening tonight, Jeremy Bamber is 100% innocent. And I do not care what the police say. They, there was no need for what they have done to that man. He has, he has not been able to grieve properly. He's been done two injustices. One, for the wrongful conviction. And two, how was he supposed to grieve for his family? You know, how was he supposed to grieve properly for his family when he's trying to fight his conviction? He must have a mixture of emotions. And I will say this, when he comes out, he is going to have a lot of issues like I did, suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, reliving the events, reliving what we've seen in prison. I mean, Jeremy was there when inmates, other inmates were there when they were killed by other inmates. I was in Long Latin for seven years, and I've seen seven people killed. This is, the, this is the reality of top security prisons. There's a lot of violence around you. And you know, to survive each and every day is very, very difficult because you never know if you're going to be the next one. And this is this is how powerful prison is. You know, in a sense, like how dangerous it is, if, you, if, if that's the word I use. Because you're living on your wits each and every day. I can remember sometimes in the night times I used to think, I can't wait to shut my door. I've, I've seen so many stabbings today. I've seen so many people hurt and, I, and I, I don't want to be part of this. And I used to just shut my door at nine o'clock, and I used to feel a sigh of relief that that door was actually shut because I'd survived another day without getting hurt. And people don't understand that. This is the harsh realities of prisons. And when you're an innocent man, the cruelties of prison, um, that the prison officers mess around with your letters, money was going missing out of my private cash. Do you know what I mean? And they couldn't explain all this. It was all part of the harassment, because the more publicity I was getting for my case, the more they were getting irritated. And then they bring in petty rules, and stop you having this, that, and the other. So there's all these things Jeremy's got to cope with. And i gotta, I got to take my hat off to Jeremy, and I said this to somebody the other night, you know. He's a remarkable man. 36 years. 11 years what I've done is, is nothing compared to what Jeremy's done. And what he's had to put up with, with the, what they've said in the media about him. I haven't had that le- level of intensity. And I mean, he's got to come out. And that's what, I'm, that's what I want to see. I want to see him walking down the Court of Appeal steps, saying to every one of those persons who doubted him, told you I was innocent. And that day, hopefully, is going to come soon. And let's just hope it's sooner rather than later. Because justice delayed is justice denied.
3: Thank you, for, thank, thank, you, for, yeah,
1: thank you for talking so passionately about, about Jeremy's case, and uh, as you said, reminding us what a, what a violent environment he, he's currently in. Um, so it's not just the injustice itself, it's the ongoing day-to-day challenges that, that he faces. So uh, you, you made that point extremely well, so thank you for that. No, you're awesome.
0: welcome. Do you do does anybody have any questions for Mike either on his personal experiences or, or his uh reminiscences about Jeremy? Yep, Dominic. Dominic. Hi, hi, Michael. Um I'm very keen to read some of your
1: books and um <laughs> 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 Which one? Actually, actually I should first say thank you so much for your presentation. It was uh really inspiring and thanks for all the work you're doing it's fantastic
2: well i I mean i i i don't know whether i can say i I enjoy what i'm doing but i get satisfaction of knowing that i'm trying to give something back to people who deserve it and i mean jeremy deserves every bit of help he can get and he needs them, you know i mean He's an amazing guy. People, what people have said about him in the media really upsets me. I don't talk about it much. I wouldn't go to the media and say, you're out of order. But when the time comes, when he gets his name cleared, some of them journalists, I'll be having a quiet word with, I can assure you of that. Because, yeah. you know, it, it's disgusting the way they can demonise somebody. And if you've seen it, if you've seen Jeremy and you were in the visiting with him, you'd be like, is this the same guy they're talking about? You'd think they got the, the psychiatric problems. You know what I mean? And they try to make out that Jeremy's got the psychiatric problems, but he hasn't got any at all. So, you know, um, who's got the issues here? It, it's the people who are demonising it. Who've got the, you know, the personality disorders and everything, really. Because I know Jeremy, and I will stick up for him, uh, heaven and earth. You know, because I know. 100% you didn't
3: do it like, you know,
1: I really do. Sure. Thank you. Now, as you said, Mike, you, you know, new challenges arise, you know, when you come out. And I, I know you find that, found that adjustment quite difficult, didn't you? C- can you just say a bit about, you know, your experiences, you know, immediately on
2: your release? Well, when I first came out, there was no help for me whatsoever. I mean, it wasn't until two thousand and one that the, the miscarriages of justice support service was set up by the government because of people like Paddy Hill and myself saying, "We need help. We suffer from PTSD. Who's gonna Who's gonna put us right?" So, you know, fair play to the miscarriage of justice organisation in, in, in um, you know Paddy Hill and and his, his organisation. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have had any psychiatric help whatsoever. When I did have psychiatric help. Um, I was off the Richter scale with post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, I witnessed a guy die in front of me. I mean, that traumatised me for a long time. His name was Norman Manning. I mean, you know, you can do your homework, you know, it's online. Uh, there's nothing that uh, is, isn't in the media already. He was stabbed to death and I tried to help him because that's what you do as a human being. You try and save a life, not take a life. When I seen this man and I pulled back the sheets, I seen him stabbed in the heart, lungs, groin. I knew he was gonna die. I couldn't do nothing about it. That's the harsh reality. So I relive that even now. Sometimes you know, I mean, I've been out twenty odd years now. You know, it's been thirty-four years since my wrongful conviction. You know, since I first went to prison. And I'm still getting psychiatric help now. I'm still on medication now. I'm on a I'm on 60 milligrams a day, I'm on anxiety tablets, uh, I'm on a sleep apnea machine because of the damage, it, it, it's, it's all done, you know, everything collectively is all linked to the miscarriage of justice and you don't realise how ill you are until you get released, you think you're okay, you deal with the media, the euphoria and there's all media around, you're doing interviews and you're... Yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're angry, you're telling them you, you're pleased to be out being angry. You can angry. You know, you, you know, it's at the back of your throat and everybody can see that you're angry because, you know, I wanted the police done, I wanted the prosecution done, I wanted everybody who would cause this miscarriage to be brought to book. But then after six months, when the media starts dying down and you start thinking about what has happened to you, uh, that's when the problems start because then the hatred starts coming into it, the bitterness. And I didn't get rid of the bitterness in 2012. So that was that's like, you know, a long time after I, you know, 14 years later, I managed to get rid of the bitterness. And it was a sad turn of events why I got rid of that bitterness, because I'd lost my son to a genetic disorder. I don't know whether many people know that. I lost a son to a genetic disorder in 2012. It was hospital negligence as well. And I had two choices, go after the doctors and do the same thing as what I'm doing now, trying to go after the police and be bitter and angry, or set up a charity and do something positive. And from that moment on, I realized I had to change my way of thinking. So my son's death wasn't in vain because he taught me something different. He taught me a different way that this wasn't the right way to go about things. And, I, you know, it took me a lot to, to, to get rid of that bitterness. But I still suffer depression every day. Uh, sometimes it's very difficult for me to just do normal basic things when a depression comes. Just having a wash or going in the bath or just doing everyday mundane things, going to the shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, a traumatic, because you, you think people are watching you. You get paranoid. Mm-hmm. And these are all the things Jeremy is going to have to face. I know we've got to get him out first,
0: mm.
2: but is it, I, I know all the leading experts on, on, on this stuff. And when it comes to it, we need to get him the, be, the very best help he can get. But because I've been through it, I can help Jeremy through it. Because I, I know, you know, when i come out, there was nothing. For three years, I was in the wilderness. I've got to be honest with you, I was taking drugs. I had a hundred grand check off the home office. I didn't know what to do with it. I've never had £2,000 in my hand. I said, here's a cheque, here's 100 grand, now go away. There's an interim payment. So I started partying with the boys, went out, taking cocaine, doing everything I shouldn't be doing, women, booze, a lot. Because that was my way of blotting out the pain. And then when I met uh, somebody uh, in in 2001, Adrian Grounds, one of the leading experts, that's when I started getting myself together because he helped me through it. But it took me a long time to get my head together. And bearing in mind, Jeremy's done three times the length of what I've done. God yeah. knows what damage is done to him mentally. Um, he seems well enough in prison. Like we all do, because you're fighting. But once that fight stops, that's when you see the what's left. You know, the, yeah. the shell of the person.
3: Yeah.
2: That's what we got to... This is what we got to, you know, when the time comes, we got to get the right people in place to make sure he doesn't fall down the roots that I fell down. Because no. I don't want to see that. And, I, and if I've got anything to do with it, there's no way uh, I would see him go down the roads I went down. So, you know, they, they're, the, they're, the, they're the things. I mean, adjusting to life, you know, driving a car. I've been to drive a car since I've been out, you know. Um, I can tell you some stories. I'm going be crashed into the war. I mean, I put my hands up in the air. I done some stupid things. I thought I'm never going to learn to drive. And I was suffering from PTSD. But I passed first time. So I don't know how the hell I managed to do that. But that's another story. Like, you know, I did pass first time. I still don't know how I passed first time. My reversing <laughs> and parking is awful. But there we go. Um, so I managed to achieve a lot of good things as well. I, I want to say about the positive things i've done you know i wrote seven books i got one on killing injustice in the lone star state which is about the death penalty and why we shouldn't bring it back because people like me and jeremy well we would have been gone no doubt about it cardiff three Guilford four and i and i've analyzed our system with the american system and showed how unjust the law of parties are and things like that i've wrote um my autobiography about where I grew up you know I come from a very poor background totally different to Jeremy you know absolutely chalk and cheese do you know Jeremy I mean? we yeah. had no money we were living on orange boxes and stuff like that you know to give you some idea so 100 grand when I give you this 100 grand check you can, it's like a million pounds to me that's why I've done the things I did but, you know, going back to the real issues now, like, you know, I just want to see Jeremy out now. He's done he's, he's 36 years. He's probably the longest serving miscarriages of justice victim. I mean, well, probably the biggest miscarriages yeah. of the justice victim. Let's just hope now the CCRC um, do the decent thing and end his nightmare. That's what we need to do. You know, yeah. I, I'm a survivor now. You I know I, I've, got, I've got my son, I bring up my son on my own, he's nine now. I couldn't have done that a few years ago because I was mm. in such a mess. And I've got myself together now. And my focus is on helping the innocent. Whether it be Jeremy, whether it be Di Morris, whoever comes to me, I don't turn anybody away. I don't judge anybody. I just do what I got to do. And if I can highlight, if it can be a voice on the radio, and explain somebody's case and why Jeremy's innocent, then I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. And I've been ridiculed, make no mistake about it. People have ridiculed me. Oh, you support that Jeremy Bamba. Some of the comments on my videos, I had, oh, he's a, he's a car-thieving Bamba supporter and stuff like that I've had to put up with. But you know what? They don't call me the rhino for nothing because I'm very <laughs> thick-skinned these days and <laughs> I've learned that from prison, you know? So, you know, I let it go off my head, but. These are the things you've got to put up with when you're in the campaign like this. We've been called fruitcakes, haven't we, Yvonne? You know that. Yeah, and then people yeah. have said to us, do you know, do you know what I mean, Phil? You, you know what I'm saying. People have said all sorts. But who's the fruitcakes? They are for not listening. And we're, we're exactly. going to prove that Jeremy yeah. is innocent. And then we'll see who the letters are. And it'll be those who were looking in the desks. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. 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 Absolutely.
1: I'm sure that Jeremy will be very appreciative of your help and advice when he comes out, having been through that readjustment experience. I think it's a very unique experience, obviously, and having somebody who's dealt with that and then come out in such a positive way now, I'm sure, will be invaluable for him.
2: Well, I don't want him to go down the same roads which I went down, you know, especially if he they say for instance they give him an interim payment and stuff like that the first thing you want to do you want to go out because he's been locked up for so long oh, yeah. you, you crave it believe me and you see all the women you're like oh my god there is a god <laughs> do you know what i mean it's as simple as that and uh, that's how it was for me it was like being in a desert you know going through the water you know seeing if i can find the water and all of a sudden the water appears well, it was like, when I come up with a car park at um, Gautry Prison and see all these nice swimming or whatever, I was like, oh, God, there is a God. Hallelujah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm going out tonight. And as soon as I get some money, you know, and, and that's, a, that's what it was like. So, you know, Jeremy's only human. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's going to want to go out there. He's going to want to see the world and do things. And he's yeah, going to see how much has changed. Well, I, I think
1: what's... <laughs> One story that to me highlights or or epitomises the cruelty of the system is I I think I remember you telling me that when you got your compensation cheque, they deducted your bed and board for the 11
2: years, didn't they? Yes, they did. It was £37,500. I fought it all the way to the House of Lords, me and uh, Michael Hickey and Vincent Hickey. And Lords, I'm trying to think which Lord it was now. I know uh, Lord Bingham, he turned round and said they could do it because we would have had to spend food and water on the outside anyway. <laughs> well, I said to the southern newspaper, and I don't speak to the Southern newspaper normally, I was very flippant with them and said, oh, well, I would have had a few dolly birds in and a few steaks and a few bits and pieces. And they only went and printed <laughs> it in the next day in the paper and I only took <laughs> them on my cornflakes, you know what I mean? But... <laughs> that's that's how stupid that newspaper is. Which there's my heading, you know. Uh, I, I I I call it the uh, the daily fail. One of them, the mail and, <laughs> and the son, You know what I mean? Because it, it it does. They tell lies about Jeremy. They don't tell the truth. I think that's the frustrating thing for me. You know what I mean? Is when you've got to read about Jeremy, you are thinking that's a load of nonsense. You know, and, and it's, it's very hurtful. You know. Um, I was lucky. I, uh, I had most of the media on my side, but it took me five years before we got the media involved in our case. You know, mm-hmm. so I was I, I was lucky in that sense. But I, I just can't wait for Jeremy to come out. I want. There's so much. I would like to show him. Do you know what I mean? I, you mm-hmm. know, as an innocent man myself, I like to say, Jeremy, look at this, look at this, look at this. And I know he's gonna be going to be one, but I want to look at this and I want to look. at this. <laughs> Look at that woman over there. Look at her, Oh yeah, I'm like, got a minute you know what I mean <laughs> you know it's going to be like that, like you know what I mean and no, that's no. the harsh realities of coming out when you get your name cleared and all the things because you do think of women when you're in prison you know not be human you know you've been locked up with all these men for years and you're like you're like a caged animal and when you come out you're like oh, this is heaven Nightclubs. oh my <laughs> god oh. do you know what I mean so that's, that's what it was like and Jeremy's going to go through all these things and we're all going to have to watch him do it <laughs> That's
1: <the thing> about... <laughs> right, hopefully it'll be ha- happening very soon T- Tom did you have a question for Mike Tom you...
4: yes thank you um, I wanted uh, to ask uh, Mike have you this may sound like a facetious question but I'm just meaning it genuinely have you ever met a popular journalist a tabloid journalist who has a conscience have you, have you ever met one who's in effect a good journalist who's Going about their work for the right reasons and is interested in truth, and it's also only, how. Yeah, so I, also, so I was also going to ask, how do you think? Do you have any ideas about how Jeremy could get more of the popular media on side with his case?
2: Well, let me answer your first question. Yep. I, I, I think um, <coughs> going back going back to um, I'll answer your, sorry, I'll answer your second question because that's going to be easier about getting the media on side. I think you've got to be very picking and choosy what papers you go to. And fortunately, you're always going to have some mainstream papers who are going to believe whatever the police say to them. Because don't forget, that's where they get most of their, you know, uh, articles from. That's where they make their money. And that's what it's about on the one side. Um, I do know one journalist. I don't know whether he's still around anymore. A guy called Greg Swift. He used to write for The Express. And he was a good friend of mine, he come up to visit me and he put, shame, of, shame of that South Wales Police were above the law. And he did a, a massive piece on me uh, in, in the Express. And he's the only one I have ever known who's done a good article on miscarriages of justices. You know, in the Express and pe- places like that. Daily Mirror, they, they you know, um, are pretty good. But uh, you know the daily, the, the daily fame as I call it. I don't know one journalist in there, honestly. And I know I know a lot of journalists from many newspapers. I know Eric Allison; he's done some splendid work over the years, you know, uh, for prisoners and for uh, the innocent. But um, it's very, very difficult to get a decent journalist uh, from the mainstream tabloids because the tabloids have got this notion: prisoners should be punished. Prisoners are evil. Prison, you know. You know, they're having caviar and chips while the old lady's got, I haven't got enough for Christmas meals. And this is their mindset, unfortunately. If they were shown the harsh realities and went into the prison and met people like Jeremy and met people like me, they'd soon change their attitude. I'd give them a week in prison and they wouldn't be writing the stuff that they're doing. But because they haven't got that, they haven't got they haven't seen that side of the coin, or don't want to see that side of the coin, you're always going to have the tabloids say bad things. But I hope once Jeremy has got his name cleared, those tabloids are gonna have to retract, like they did in the Birmingham Six case, my case, and many other cases, because it was the same journalist who criticized the Birmingham Six, who flogged them uh, and, and sort of you know flogging a dead horse like saying they were guilty they were scum everything you could think of but those same journalists when they got out wanted to interview paddy hill mm. absolutely outrageous i wouldn't give them the time of day you know, <laughs> you know I, I i don't speak to the sundays only once i did when the flip and comment over the bed and board case and that was it that done it for me you know and Unfortunately, the only way we're going to get people on side now, we've got to clear his name. That's what we all got to focus on. Once his name is cleared, all these people who've been nasty towards Jeremy I'll happily, with Jeremy, go and see them and see if they want to do a, a decent story. And they can pay him handsomely as well because he's going to need money to live on. That's another mm. issue as well because they'll all be clamouring for his story and they'll all want a freebie. But I, I know through... Um, other high-profile cases. I'll give like you an example. Um, there was uh, Kenny Ritchie. I don't know if you remember, he was on death row in America, the Scottish guy.
0: Well, oh, they, okay. they, paid,
2: they, they were all fighting over his story when uh, he got taken off death row, when he got his name cleared, and he come back to Britain uh, and whatever. And the, the news of the world paid him 50 grand. And what mm. I'm saying is, that's another aspect which nobody's looked at. When Jeremy comes out, where's he going to live? Where's the money going to come from? They're all other aspects. And use the media. Take their money, but make sure you get that story out from his perspective. And that's yeah. another angle nobody's looked at.
4: But the curious, yeah, thing about you, the curious thing about it is that if they're interested in circulation and advertising and what have you, you'd think that at least some of them would be saying, hang on, we could, regardless of whether they think Jeremy is innocent or not, they're journalists at the end of the day, they could be saying to themselves, hang on, we could actually spin this into a big story. And We could present the evidence in such a way to make it look like Jeremy is innocent. Of course, we know Jeremy is innocent, but they could say to themselves, "Yeah," and we could turn this into a, like a big scandal and be demanding answers and run a story and you know boost our circulation with headlines. I'm just asking myself why some of them don't do that. Well, I'm
2: disappointed, you know, as much as much as what you are. I know. I'll give an example. Some of the headlines for me. My son wrote to the... When I was shipped out, when I when I took the governor of Long Island to court and the home secretary, I nicked the both of them over denying me access to journalists. I was shipped 300 miles so I couldn't get visits for my family. And the headlines were, my son pleads to visit killer dad. And he sells newspapers. You were correct. Mm-hmm. I mean... You know, so everybody was going on a sudden pleads to visit Killer Dad. Next thing you know, the whales on Sunday is all sold out and all that. Oh, we've got to have a look at this, what this is about. Article was fantastic. Headlines was disgusting, you know. So yes, they can do it if they want to. But I think the powers that be up there, once they've got to be in their bonnet, and they've got to be in their bonnet about Jeremy, I think it's politics involved now. That's what worries me is the politics involved in Jeremy C. If he took away the politics and looked at the facts of the evidence uh, and, you know, what evidence he has got to prove his in he would have been cleared a long time ago. But I think politics is playing a part in what has kept Jeremy in prison so long.
4: Yeah, I was going to ask a lawyer this question about whether he thought the politics within the judiciary would stop him being released irrespective of the evidence. Anyway, someone else may have a question. so.
1: But going back to your case, Mike, did you ever receive
2: an apology from South Wales Police? Well, surprisingly, um, I had a letter. I got my, my MP Beth Winters to write to uh, um, the Chief Constable of South Wales Police in 2020. i have been getting harassment from a woman called Stephanie Hall, whose boyfriend mm-hmm. her oh. said he was innocent.
3: So uh, we, had we had get the same closet.
2: harassment. And I, called, I, got the, I had to get the police involved and everything, and I did. I, said, I, I was very reluctant, but she caused me so much distress, and what she was putting on websites about me was horrendous. So what, what I actually did then, I did get the police involved and stuff like that, uh, and I have warned her recently because she has been doing it again. But I wanted... Um, an apology from the police, because I said, it's down to South Wales police for not apologising to me. People are still saying I'm guilty. And I've got a letter in my drawer, I've just shoved it in the, the knife and fork drawer, to be honest with you, it's in there. <laughs> and basically he says, we accept that Mr. O'Brien is a victim of a miscarriage of justice. And whilst they, they stopped short of saying we apologise, they did mm. accept that I was yeah. innocent. And uh, yeah. that came through in 2020. And I, I did an ITV interview, might still be on ITV uh, thing now. But I'll have to get the letter and I'll have, I'll have, to, I'll have to put that on um, Twitter and Facebook and show you what the chief consul said. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it. I was so overwhelmed by it because I thought, why didn't you do this years ago? Why have yeah. I had to wait 34 years? But it's better late than never. And his yeah. name's Matt Dukes, but he's now gone to the Met police. Mind you, they do need him. I've got to be honest with you, because what's <laughs> going on up there? Can you decide to update that? But that's another matter, you know. But yeah. I've always got on with this Matt Dukes. He was always honest and forward with me. He always said, I can only do this, I can only do that. But he told me straight and we had that little mutual respect. And when my MP wrote, wrote to him, I was so shocked to get that letter to say, you know, we accept Mr. O'Brien was a victim of a miscarriage of justice and it shouldn't have happened. So that's yeah, the nearest yeah. I've got to an uh, apology without them saying we're sorry. They never use those words, I'm sorry, no, but they but accept yeah. it, if you know what no, I mean. That's the closest no, I'm going to get, I'm afraid. So I just took that. it with the great she was meant and moved on, like, you know. But I have I have got a nice book coming out in um, about South Wales Police. And I mean... Uh, they're not going to like it. So uh, I think a holiday, like, you know, uh, in September the 27th, because um, I think I can have my guts for gathers or try anyway, like, you know, I have to be very, very careful what I do.
1: But final question, Mike. Um, did anything? was there any help holding to
2: account of any of the officers
1: involved in in your case?
2: Unfortunately, I tried to suit the CPS. I took them to the High Court. And Lord Thomas, who's um, who's now, who's the main main lord, um, basically said the evidence was good enough to get me cleared, but not strong enough to get him convicted. And they they refused me uh, my judicial review. So I did try to get him charged. Um, they paid. What I want to say is they did pay me out the highest compensation ever for a miscarriage of justice because of their wrongdoing in there, but they didn't admit liability. They put in what they call a part 36 offer, which stops all your, your evidence coming out in the civil trial. So what I've done, I've used that evidence from the civil trial, which has never been made public, and put it in my new book. So, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I've got two bites of the cherry, one way or another, it's coming out. You know, so i, I that was the only way I could do it. But, um, yeah. You know, they don't pay you 300,000 pounds when the most they normally pay out is 50 grand. That uh-huh. is the top level. What And, and Ma- it's a shame Mark's on you because he'll tell you that. That's the most they, they, they give you. So if there was no corruption, why give somebody 300,000 pounds, eh? That means that well, anybody can make fa- have, uh, uh, false allegations against the police. Oh, we better give him 300 pounds at 300,000 pounds to shut him up. But they, they knew what they know. were doing. They stopped the evidence from coming out, see? And if Jeremy yeah. goes to sue the police when he comes out, He'll have that problem as well. We gotta get rid
3: of that part thirty six. So well, we've we've already got criminal complaints in the, about the police. We did that first, so we're like <laughs> put on that one. So but it's like as well. I've said to Jeremy, they can try and gag him all they want. Fine, can't gag me, can't gag Philip, can't gag us. You know? Wow. So collectively we will make sure that evidence gets out there. So you know, the
0: sound of it, Mike, they're not going to gag you either. So I don't <laughs> know. Well, no, they've tried to, they tried
2: to run me over in my first book when I, I was at a book signing. I forgot to tell you about that. My wife oh. was driving the car with my daughter in there. And um, I was just doing, doing a book signing at and I was just coming back on the Mirtha Road. And they tried to push me into the Merthyr Road as I was coming on the roundabout. And I stopped the car in the, mid, the, car in the middle of the road and I shook my fist at the police officer. I reported it and everything, but as you know, they never done anything. And the other thing is as well, um, when I was fighting the police, when I was taken up to court, 22 criminal offences were committed against me by criminals, right? Real criminals. And they done nothing. That's all in my book as well. And I have detailed all the criminal offences which were committed against me. Harassment, assault, you name it, it's in the book. I mean, I haven't pulled no punches. 22 criminal offences and, and nobody was arrested. Where's but when's the Mike? On the 27th of
3: September. I'll, I'll happily send you uh, a copy. I don't if want you to buy it. You can send me the link, Mike, and then we can put it on the Facebook group. Yeah. And then, If you can send me the link for our people. Yeah, and I can do doing siren this.
2: My My book publisher's called Siren. You know, I, I can... I can put it in an email and send it to you. But, you know, okay. I, I'm, I'm not very good at promoting my books. I'd rather promote Jeremy. Do you know what I mean? That's me. I'd rather, I'll would speak about Jeremy
3: all day long because I, I just Michael. know. Michael, you're going to have to slow down. I can't keep up with you. I can't read them fast enough. <laughs> Max also, I he even told you this, he also released songs. Didn't oh, yes? yes,
2: for yes, I, did. I, did I, yeah, I released album. Yeah. Yes, I did. Yes, I released a charity single, which... Just got just scraped just outside the top hundred charts position. That's not bad for a, a fifty year old fart anyway, you know what I mean? I don't I don't think Justin hayward has got anything to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> well you know what I went to you. I never just
3: turned
2: Forever <laughs> Autumn, yeah. I I I have done a have done a few recordings recently. I just haven't had time to do anything with them, like, you know. But that's that's my friend time now, it's just like getting away from everything like, you know? We've got something in common. I mean, I'm mean, going to notice my name's Thunderchild. Oh, <laughs> War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds, yeah, you know. Oh, I could tell you some stories about War of the Worlds, but I don't think it's for this episode.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know? Oh, yes, the things we used to get up to imprisoned. If only they knew. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you have to put it all in your next book, Mike. <laughs> yeah, but the thing there. is, if I, I, the reason why I didn't put a lot of it in my book was because there's people still in there, and the thing is, they'll be on to them like Sonic them, won't they? You know, all the yeah, little things you can get up to. That's the only reason. You know, when I see you guys face-to-face, I can tell them some funny stories and, and real true stories.
0: And know what of you is. You'll be, socks
3: like...
2: <laughs> <You'd> be <laughs> laughing at off.
3: Yeah, things Eric has told me and stuff, and it's just, like, hysterical. It's so, far. Uh,
2: well, the drug situation and the hooch, I could tell you some stories about that, like, you know what I mean? But as I said, I'm not going to say no more. <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to know what all our secrets like. You know, there's others behind it, you know. But yes, um, we've done some mad things in, in, in our time. The one I'll leave you with, because this is quite good, I got caught with a load of hooch once, and there was a bath there, and the prison officer said, you know, tip it out. And it was on my birthday. So what I did, I put the plug in, poured it all out into the bath. As soon as the prison officers were gone, I, sh- I showed them that I had empty containers. I got nicked for it. Um, but as soon as they were gone, I was putting it back in the in the cans. We, were, we had a drink that night. Like, we were having it. They were not going to spoil my birthday. But little <laughs> things like this, you know, just to like go one up on the screws like, you know what I mean? And the little things you have to do to... You know, Jeremy's probably got 101 stories to tell you. I tell you, he'll keep you on amused when he comes up. I'm telling you. Good <laughs> <laughs> Well,
3: any any
1: any final questions from Mike? It, it's been fascinating to to hear all your stories. Has anybody else got a a final question?
4: I've got one. Um, are you still angry? Can you forgive the people responsible for your wrongful imprisonment?
2: Yes, I have. I have forgiven them. I feel sorry for them, to be honest. I, I'll give an example. I bumped into the copper who made up the confession outside the cells when I was doing a charity do once. And I was in Panath, and this old guy was looking at me, and I thought, I know you. And I thought, that's Inspector Stuart Lewis. That's the one who made up the confession. And I said to him, shall I push you in the river by there? And I started laughing. <laughs> and my, my wife said, to me, You can't say that to him. I said, "Well, I don't give a damn, like you know." He said, "That's the guy," and I looked at him and I thought, "I said, you pathetic old man! Look at you! You're going to die soon!" I said to him. So I said, "The Lord will have you." So I'm not going to do nothing. And I said, "I'll see you. I'll see you around, mate." Do you know what I mean? And I walked away from him. And you know what? I felt so good because I never hit him. And I and I walked away and I thought, "All oh, my bitterness is gone," mm. and I and I felt pity for him. He was an old man in one of those scooters, and I thought. You're pathetic, do you know what I mean? And, and it took a lot of guts to walk away from him. i got to be honest with you, because my gut instinct, if that would have been when I first came out, I, I even found out where he lived when I first came out. I knew where he drank, I knew where the police officers drink. and believe me, I was going to do some damage. And my mate she had to keep me on, on the even keel and keep me away from the, you know, the Beverly Hotel-like, you know what I mean? Because I knew where he was at the same time. So I, I, I had all that bad feeling when I came out, but... When I actually met him and seen how pathetic he was, I just, I let it go and I've let it go now. I feel sorry for the people who've done what they did to me because for them to do that to me, they must, be, must have been in a terrible, terrible place themselves. Like the witnesses who give false evidence against us. You know, the police have got to take responsibility for leaning on them and putting them in a position where they weren't gonna see their kids unless they give a statement against me or Ellis. I mean, what would you do? What would a normal person do? If they said to you, you're never going to see your kids again, unless you give a statement against Mr. O'Brien or, or whatever, and you were a vulnerable person, what would you do? So you've got to look from another perspective and look at it from their point of view, uh, what they were thinking, and try to put yourself in their shoes. And I, yeah, I've, I've forgiven them all. I mean, I've met quite a few of them, Christopher Chicken, Helen Morris, they tried, to put, they tried to put it right. They went on a TV programme and admitted they framed us. Do you know what I mean? I took a lot of guts that did, you know, to go on a TV programme. I said, yeah, I lied about Mr O'Brien. I lied about Werner Sherwood. And I've spoken to him, shaken hands with him. Uh, not going to have a cup of tea with him in their house and all that like, you know, or whatever, and be best friends. But I've managed to sort of move on from all the bitterness. And, uh, you know, you've got to do it because if you don't, it will destroy you. It's like a poison which goes through your veins. Do you know what I mean? And it, 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 it's so bad, it was making me ill. But it took me 12 years, only 12 to 14 years before I got rid of that bitterness. I don't want Jeremy to do the same. I hope when we get him out, we get him the proper help, and maybe he would be able to get rid of it before it festers. you know what I mean? And we can keep a lid on it. <laughs> it's not like yeah. what I need. Mean. You know? So that, that's the answer to that. Like, yeah, I, I've forgiven all of them. Like, you know, it's the only way forward.
3: Exactly. You're remarkable, Mike.
2: You are. Just amazing. You
3: what you do you to burn. help everybody that is just incredible.
2: I'm just a normal guy from a, a, a council estate who's just managed to use prison wisely. I educated myself. I'd done what I could. Um, I don't know what I could for many other people but I was in there as well. I'm still doing it 34 years later. I'm probably going to be an old man in a wheelchair going, the Pace Act, the Pace Act. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> gonna, you know, that confession is inadmissible. Do you know what I mean? I, I might be 87 or something but I'll be still banging on about the law or I'll still be you Know saying this is a miscarriage of justice and this is the reason why, yeah. I'm in mean, the wheelchair still doing it, or on the crutches, or whatever. I don't yeah,
3: care. You and Jeremy next to each other, in <laughs> <Germany>. yeah. Just <that's
2: laughs> <right>. like <laughs> remember in our day, Jeremy, it you know I mean? you know, was like that in our day, and remember that prison ouch we had as well, <laughs> you know. so... I, I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be here till the end of time until my time comes you know what I mean fighting because that's what I do best that's the only thing I know how to write write books and I just hope <coughs> it makes a difference because that's what it's all about you know I don't make much money for my books I'll be honest with you but it's not about that it's about getting this story out there and if the publishers want to keep publishing them I don't care if they don't make no money it's not my business you know what I mean as long as they let me print my books and, and they make enough to sort of get by I'm happy with that because the stories are out there yeah. and that's what matters. And if a journalist picks up on that particular story and that person gets cleared, to me, that is priceless. You can't put a price on it.
3: Absolutely. And,
4: you
2: know,
3: so I think Dave has a question. Yeah, sure.
4: Dave. Yeah, I was going to say um, there isn't anyone else that's got out of jail after 36 years, is there, that I can think of? <laughs> the... the, um, the, the, the
2: um, um, not, not out
4: of jail. Sorry, I haven't, you know, I haven't finished the question. So okay. 36 years of being in horrific confinement must be, you know, un-comprehensible un- for anyone... Inhumane. Yeah, that hasn't. Um, so the support that he's going to need is going to be massive, isn't it?
2: Absolutely, yes.
4: Um... I just wonder what support there will be, because it has to be done, you know, it, it's staring at me through the window, you know, he did but not do this hideous crime. Um, he, he would uh,
2: be referred to the miscarriage of justice support group. I don't know if you know that, um, I did mention it earlier, I might have got, you know, people might have got a mix-up with Mojo and the miscarriages of support service. What they do is when people come out, when they get referred back to the Court of Appeal, they will go and see Jeremy and see what his needs are. So, when it comes up to the appeal, and say, for instance, he got his name cleared tomorrow, they'd be at the gate with him and make sure um, he's not only that he's okay, but they would put him in touch with a psychiatrist who deals with post traumatic stress disorder for victims of miscarriages of justices. And the leading guy is Adrian Ground from Cambridge University, who is mm-hmm. a good friend of mine as well. So, you know, he will have the right help right. at the right time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Trust me, I'll make sure of it. Do you know what I mean? I know we're going to have to go through the media frenzy. We're going to all have to be like this. Do you know what I mean? To get? <laughs> 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 You will have the help because the help is there. That organisation sure, yeah. is specifically there. To help.
3: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of organisations. And, and Jeremy's a, a huge advantage to a lot because he's got such a big network of people who are there to help him. You know, like Matt, like Dennis, like, you know, and this, the, they're all experts in their own field and we will make sure he's all right. The, he, he's fortunate in the fact he does have so many strong people around him to support him and a lot of people don't have that. So, you know, I'm sure when Jeremy is released, and that will happen, that everybody will do their part and, every, and he, he'll be all right.
2: We'll all pull together. That's what we'll do, you know. As I said on a, t- on a radio programme, I remember um James Whale said, well, wouldn't you think that some of his family would st- stand by him? I said, um, regardless of that, I said, the yeah. fact is, when he comes out, we're his family.
3: Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You know what I
2: mean? We're his family now. Yeah. We're the ones yeah. who, who care yeah. for him. We will make sure he's okay, but he's got yeah. someone to live and whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, and he's got money and he's... Not without, you know, because the first thing he's going to notice, I tell you this, I've got, this is quite funny, clothes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I went into prison, I had state press. And I don't know if you remember those back in the day, <laughs> they were like little flex, black flex in black trousers. And they were all the rage and they were like drain pipes. But when mm-hmm. I come out, I went to go shopping with my brother and all I seen was flares. And I said to him, I ain't fucking wearing them. do you know what i mean i mean clothes shopping was um well it just blew my head we went into peacocks i can remember we went into peacocks and uh uh, max and spencers i wanted to go to max and spencers he wanted to go to peacock i said you're tight bastard you can give me a decent pair of jeans in there. do you know what i mean but shopping like that you know jeremy's gonna have to get used to all things like that you know and you know he's probably got his clothes in his box from 36 years ago, because I know when I come out, my, my clothes are still in the box when I come out. So I tried to put them on, I couldn't get them over my knees. You know what I mean? So I, don't know, I was uh, on a bit of weight and whatever. And and the shirt, well, and the tie, well, I still got them in the as mementos of when I was 20. And I was six stone six then, and now 16 stone four. So uh, you can understand why they don't fit, you know? So this, you can have all that, but I found it funny. Do you know what I mean? Because me and my brother, yeah, but they're all the fashion now. I'm like, I ain't wearing that. The shirts were out here, so I'm not wearing that. I said, it's like a helicopter. I'm going to take off. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, I mean, there was some good fun when I come out, do you know what I mean, as well? Like, you know, as I said, shopping for clothes and shoes and, oh God, it took me a long <laughs> time to get up to the... To up to speed and what was the fashion and what wasn't and you know and jeremy's gonna have that fun as well like you know, i think you'd see the funny side of it knowing jeremy like you know what i mean you know i could see him going i i wore them in 1970 so i ain't wearing them now
3: so he's already he said he's not going in primark so <laughs> 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 it was
2: a good one in it used to be CMI. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i remember never seen it Yeah, as well. It was when my they shut down, like, yeah, I've never seen it yet. Yeah, Yeah, you know. Right, well, Mike, I think we're going to have to wrap it up there. We've got a few other things
1: on
2: the agenda we need to get through. And if any of you uh, manage to speak to Jeremy, because I, I, I think you speak to Jeremy a lot, don't you, Yvonne?
3: Yeah, every day. You know,
2: you, you give him my regards and you tell him... I will, say ...never <laughs> give up, no matter what. Say I only not give up. No, never. No retreat, no surrender was our motto when we were in jail. And in Gaelic, it's called Tiochala. Our day will come.
1: You can join our monthly Facebook meetings, which have a first look at case material, presentations and guest speakers at our official Facebook, Jeremy Bamber Justice Group.